Hey everybody, it's Brian. It's, uh, let's see, it's Thursday night. I know that because uh, Ben Gibbard is now doing one show a week, and he's doing that on Thursday nights at 6 o'clock. So if you didn't tune in to that tonight, I would highly recommend it next Thursday night. You can check it out via Instagram, YouTube, uh, Facebook, I think. Anyways, if you Google Ben Gibbard live from home or whatever, you can find it through his Instagram. You can find it through Death Cab for Cutie. It's great. He plays for like 50 minutes or so. And uh, we've, as a family, we've watched every single one. Um, or I should say Andrea and I have watched every single one. Jack and Amalia kind of go in and out and they tend to try and talk. Well, I don't think they try. They just end up talking right at the key moments where Ben happens to go into the explanation of a song or talking about the run he did that day and things that we want to hear. They talk right over it. Um, but that's just being six and nine. I get it. Uh, let's see what else is going on. Um, I don't, yeah, you know, I feel like I'm hearing more and more people that I know, you know, like friends of friends that have tested positive now for COVID-19. It definitely seems to be hitting a little bit closer to home. Um, it's interesting too, how just all over the board it is. Some people, um, I haven't actually talked to her, but just what I've seen on Facebook, many of you probably, if you're listening to this podcast, um, probably know Vaughn or at least know of Vaughn Fawn. And, uh, she was really the first person that I know that I had seen that was tested positive for COVID-19. And she was tested because she's a healthcare worker. And I think she mentioned she only had like one day of a fever and kind of had atypical um, symptoms for COVID-19. Although I'm not sure there is necessarily like a a typical set based on what I've heard. Some people get nausea. Some people get the shortness of breath. Um, some get the cough, some don't, some get a fever, some don't, it's really all over the board, but, um, I try to find myself focusing on the experiences that are more like Vaughn's that, you know, I'm sure she was under the weather, but slid through it pretty much unscathed. And then you hear other stories of relatively young, healthy people that are in ICU and it's, uh, it's scary. And and who knows why one person is more um, susceptible than another. Um, so anyways, it's just, you know, all of that is further proof that what we're doing in terms of isolating, staying home, limiting our interactions, it's really the right, I believe, the right course for for all of us to take nationwide, certainly citywide, countywide, statewide, nationwide, seemingly worldwide. Um, yeah. And then it's just so fascinating to think about 
what the other side of this is going to look like. Um, how do we, how do we go back to, you know, whatever normal was prior to this? How do we go back to that? I can't imagine just one day it's like, okay, the stay at home order is lifted and we just resume life as usual or pre COVID-19 life. Um, so it's pretty, pretty fascinating in that regard. Um, but I hope those of you that are listening are, um, are healthy. I hope your friends and family and your network, um, are healthy and continue to be healthy. I hope that, um, you know, science continues to make progress in terms of either drugs that help minimize the, um, the effects of this. And, um, you know, I've seen some things about antibodies, um, certainly a vaccine, you know, all of this stuff is still a ways out, but, um, we obviously have some incredibly smart and talented people in this world. And I would imagine there's a great deal of money at stake for breakthrough science like that. And so hopefully um, that stuff all comes sooner than later. Um, But that's not what I'm going to talk about tonight because, well, frankly, it bums me out and, and I'm not an expert on any of that. So I'm just just a guy selling shoes, talking to you about um, my life in the the COVID nineteen crisis. So I thought it would be kind of interesting as I've been going back through my um, my memories and thinking about runs of the past and experiences in the past. One that um, jumped out to me yesterday that I thought, oh yeah, I'm gonna have to file that away and. I'll bring that up at some point. Um, I decided tonight's as good a night as any. And uh, this one, I guess, is somewhat controversial. Um, I'm not sure how many of you were running locally at the time. Um, not many, actually. I can I can tell you that because I remember those days. Um, or I should say a lot less than now. But uh, this is this one is um, a pretty perplexing mystery that to this date, I still rather to this day, I I don't know how to feel about it. Um, so that that's that's interesting, right? Um, okay, so in May of two thousand and seven, there was. A man named Michael Shrek. You can uh, you can Google this. Um, this is all fact. He went for a run on Friday um, at Cougar Mountain, and at some point didn't come home, or I guess he didn't come home. And at some point, his wife became worried enough that she called the authorities. And I believe he had told her that he was going on a run at Redtown or at Cougar Mountain. And they found his Ford Explorer parked at the Redtown Trailhead. 
I want to say it was, I was just reading an article from the Seattle Times about this just to verify some of my facts. Um, but by 1 a.m. on Saturday, they had search and rescue already out at the mountain. And um, I've never, so I don't remember, I guess on the local news, I'd probably heard about a local runner gone missing. And that seemed particularly interesting to me because I was so involved in trail running at the time and working at Seattle Running Company. And, you know, that was a store that was kind of the hub, at least locally, if not regionally at that time. And uh, so it was kind of a a topic of conversation in the store on Saturday. Saturday came and went. There's still no sign of Michael Shrek. And, uh, and then we went and did our Sunday morning run, as we always did, at Cougar Mountain, um, you know, the following day. And we went to Redtown Trailhead. And I don't remember if we were able to actually start our run from there, if we had to go. Uh, now I'm trying to remember if, if Sky Country even existed then or what it looked like. We used to always start from Redtown. So, but I do remember going to Redtown and the parking lot was basically closed off and there was an immense um, search and rescue base set up there, essentially tents, ham radio operators, horse trailers. I mean, bustling with search and rescue volunteers. So, um, but Cougar Mountain wasn't closed to the general public. So it's not like we were breaking any laws by doing our run. And if anything, we thought, well, you know, this is just more bodies out on the trail helping to to look for this missing runner. And so um, we must have started from Sky Country Trailhead. We did our run. Of course, no sign of Michael Shrek. And then I must not have been working that day in the store. Scott McCubrey reached out to me, though, that afternoon and said that he and his friend Murray were going to go out and explore some trails that were a little bit off the grid. And Scott knew a lot of these trails because he had grown up um, right near Cougar Mountain. And so much of his childhood and young adulthood had been spent, you know, he knew Cougar as well as anybody did. And, um, and so we went out that night and again, it was May, so it was springtime. But as my memory, um, my recollection is that it was an incredible, well, I know for sure it was incredibly wet and cold when we went out Sunday, late afternoon, kind of early evening. I don't remember how it had been earlier that morning. But it, at some point we were running along. Um, I want to say we were on like the Shy Bear Trail. And Scott fr- Scott's friend Murray, who I knew just a little bit, I want to say he was ex-military. He was um, in the program to become like a state park ranger really savvy outdoorsman. 
we're running along and it's pouring down rain and it's cold and damp and even moving, we're all shivering and freezing. And Murray said, well, I hate to be the one to say it, but this isn't a rescue anymore. If we find this guy, it's a recovery. And clearly implying that nobody could be hunkered down, um, disabled in this weather and, and staying warm enough to, to survive and not having any sort of survival background or any of that. I can vouch for the fact that it was real, real cold and uncomfortable, even running out there. So we explored a couple of these trails that Scott knew about that were, again, sort of not really on any map, um, animal trails or old trails that had been bypassed and kind of forgotten. And, uh, and there was some chatter, you know, the whole weekend, like, well, maybe could he have gone over to Squawk Mountain? And, you know, many of you know now that you can very easily connect Cougar to Squawk Mountain by crossing over 900. There's the Cougar Squawk Connector. And now there's hundreds of people that do runs from Redtown and go over to Squawk. You'll have to take my word for it that in 2007, there were about 20 people that did that run. I exaggerate a little bit, but there weren't many. And um, and it was really one of those things where if you did make that connection and you got over to Squawk and you saw somebody else who was headed back toward Cougar, you either knew them well enough to stop and say hi to them or you at least knew them, knew who they were. You recognized them. The, um, it's just, it's crazy how much smaller the, the community of trail runners was in 2007, particularly those that were doing big runs like connecting Cougar and Squawk. And nobody in the, in our sort of circle of customers and employees and the the Seattle Running Company family, nobody had any idea who this guy was um, or knew anything about his running background. And so it seemed pretty ambitious that that he would have ventured over to Squawk just because, again, unless you were running ultras at that point, um, there just weren't many people doing that run. Um, which I know through the lens of 2020 seems crazy because it's become a staple for a lot of people. Um, so anyways, we, we wrapped up that run on Sunday night and Murray was absolutely convinced that whenever this guy was found, he would not be alive. And that was, um, that was tough to hear. And all of us were were scared a little bit, too, because it's like, wow, what the you know, we all kind of took that for granted, that ability to just go park at Redtown and go for a run, come back unscathed. You know, Cougar's not terribly remote. It's mostly encircled. Well, now it's, you know, almost entirely encircled with developments and homes. And, you know, it's hard to you're in the woods, but you're not 
in the wild, so to speak, really. And um, so then Monday rolls around and I was working in the store and had the news on that morning and there's still no sign of Michael Shrek. And at some point, Scott got a call from a reporter at the Seattle Times who wanted to talk to him some more because they knew, you know, Scott was a big figure locally, Scott McCubrey, because he was, he and Leslie owned Seattle Running Company. He was as tied in to the local trail running scene as anybody. He was the race director of the Cougar Mountain series. He'd grown up in Somerset right there by Cougar Mountain. And so this reporter reached out and said, hey, I'd love to interview you a little bit more and get some photos of, of, you know, we just want to get some shots of runners out, um, scouring Cougar Mountain. So Scott asked me if I wanted to go and I said, sure. So we drove out and we parked on Highway 900 and we ran up the Squawk Connector Trail toward like we were going to Wilderness. And the woman out there took some pictures and talked to Scott a little bit. Um, I, I remember because I have the, the picture cut out and hung over my desk at Capitol Hill, not as a reminder of, um, Michael Schreck or the weekend, but more as a reminder, and this is incredibly vain. So I apologize in advance, but more as a reminder of just how fit I was in 2007. It's, uh, you know, arguably I ended up overtraining. This was in late May. Western States was late June. So I was about a month out from the race. Um, I was lighter than I'd ever been, but, uh, but boy, yeah, the, again, this is a total digression from the story, but, um, I still look at that picture and I think, damn, how could, how was I ever that that lean and that fit. Um, but I was. And so I keep that as a reminder for the longest time, you know, in 2009 and 2010 and 2011, it was a reminder like, oh, you could get back there. That That's doable again. That wasn't that long ago. Now, you know, 13 years later, um, it feels like a lifetime ago. And that fitness is, <laughs> you know, that ship has sailed now. So, um, but whatever, I was, I was there at that point. And so there's that, but, um, we went out, ran around a little bit. This woman took some photos. She asked Scott a few more questions. We checked out one or two other trails that Scott had either remembered or hadn't been on yet. Still no sign of this guy. And we left and that must've been sometime between 4 and 5 p.m. on Monday evening. Well, I wake up on Tuesday and the local news is on and Michael Shrek has returned home safely after three days lost in the woods, which was a relief because, of course, that was the outcome we all wanted. Um but it was also really perplexing. And, um, you know, it's, I'm in no place to, uh, to sort of 
speculate on what happened. Um, I would highly recommend, if this is fascinating to you, that you go back and read some of the stories. Um, you know, there definitely were some questionable things about the story overall. And, and really the, the most interesting thing to me was that the, uh, the sheriff's department, though they never, there were no charges to be pressed or, or anything. Um, the, the search was all done by volunteer search and rescue. So there was no big expense accrued by the search. And I just confirmed that via this article I was reading. And, uh, but what I do remember, and it's sort of alluded to in this article is that they said that there were no scrapes, no bumps, no bruises, nothing that would indicate that he had been lost in the woods for no bug bites, um, lost in the woods for three days. So ultimately his story was that he had ventured over to squawk and fallen into a ravine and hit his head and was unconscious and managed to stay warm or at least insulated from hypothermia by covering himself with leaves and that there was a creek next to him that he was able to to drink from and that at some time on Monday he came to he hiked down off a squawk and tried to hitchhike. No one picked him up. Um, so then he decided to hike back across Cougar Mountain to where his car had been at Redtown. It was no longer there. It had been impounded. At this point, the search and rescue um, effort had been called off. And he then hiked another four miles or so to his home and showed up there in the wee hours of the morning, I guess on what would have been Tuesday morning. And uh, so that was that was the last anyone heard, as far as I know, of um, Michael Shrek. There was, you know, the family that had been all over the news um, while he was gone. Once he was back, there was never a press conference or any sort of there was just written statements released um just pretty fascinating overall um so yeah it's it's interesting as i go back and tell the story i just i can remember being out there and remember thinking about you know just for the first time feeling like wow you know we are as trail runners you know, things can really go sideways and, and it just made me, you know, I was only, um, let's see, I was like 28 at the time. So I didn't feel particularly vulnerable up to that point. But I think that was kind of a time where I started thinking like, oh, wow, you know, this, this thing that's so fun and that we, we have such passion for can also, this is the ugly side of it. Um, so anyways, I would, I would encourage you to, um, if this is at all fascinating for you to, uh, to do a little Google research and go back and check out some of the stories. Um, it's funny cause I actually don't really remember being quoted, but I was <laughs> the first one 
If you look up Michael Shrek Lost, there's a Seattle Times article that I uh, evidently am quoted in. And the last thing the article closes with, Morrison, the trail runner and searcher, said that while he found Shrek's story amazing and perplexing, quote, I'm just glad it had a positive outcome. I wouldn't run out there anymore by myself if I knew it had been foul play. And uh, I have no recollection of saying that, but I completely agree with that statement that, you know, if there had been any sort of foul play involved with his disappearance, I uh, that would have been the end of my solo runs at Cougar and Squawk. So um, with that, I will leave you to do some research on your own if you're interested. And uh, that is my recollection of the Michael Shrek disappearance of 2007. Um, Some of you may remember that, but I would suspect that that was before most of you were trail running um, locally, just because there weren't that many folks trail running at that time. Um, So anyhow... Hope you enjoyed that. Hope you're staying healthy, getting lots of rest, washing your hands, staying sane, keeping your distance from non-family members, and uh, trying to remain positive. We're going to get through this. It's probably going to be tough yet for a while, but, um, but we'll do it. So uh, thanks for listening. Have a good night.